my co-star app today says, you don't know what you want. <laughs> so good. <laughs> and you know what? That's cool with me. Welcome back to Meathead Hippie Podcast. We are starting the momentum of consistency. But you know, at the same time, I'm like, if I'm not creative, I can't film a podcast. So thank you for being all over the place with me as I've done interviews and solo rants and singing <laughs> and poetry reading. Today is all about how to make the most out of your time in the gym. It was time to do a meathead one. And I'm not kidding you. Platform strength, this gym and this programming is saving my sanity. There's so many times that I forget that I'm a badass <laughs> or I forget that when things get stuck, you're supposed to push through. And a lot of my journey the last, I don't know, eight, nine months um, is kind of this refiguring out feminine balancing with the masculine. So disappeared to Maui for eight months, completely surrendered to all divinity and that's the next podcast you'll see. So there's two podcasts you're going to see today. One meathead, one hippie, and fully just immersed in the magic of what Maui is and the Hawaii Islands and all the beautiful things I learned and healed and moved through. But then coming back to Denver, which is such a masculine place, and then understanding that who I am is kind of like, here's a peanut butter jar. <laughs> I'm going to open it. Oh, can't open it. Not supposed to open it. <laughs> Guess it's a sign. And I kind of got stuck in this. And I, I think all of us are in that, like, when do we just muscle through and open the peanut butter jar? And when do we let the peanut butter jar stay shut? And it's this rehealing of the masculine energy that has been so profound. So profound, in fact, that it has led me to almost a month off of coffee and alcohol. <laughs> well, I've had alcohol since then, but I ended up doing a very sacred ceremony and a plant medicine journey and just really ready to dig in, you know, and I've just kept doing, keep doing the work. I think a lot of people don't realize plant medicine, what, whatever it might be for you, as simple as flower essences or tinctures or tea, or something more like psilocybin or marijuana or ayahuasca, all of it is an opening. And then the most beautiful part about it is the integration. And so how do we take what we just learned and make it our life? And it's okay if we don't know what we want. And I'm just so in that space. But I do know that my voice is a voice to be used, similar to you. <laughs> and my heart is full of love and hope that, you know, as we learn our own way, as we are the wounded healers, as we are figuring out what we want in life and who we are, we must share. It is so important to always look after each other. And I feel so grateful to be able to do that with storytelling and conversation. And today with George, Coach George at uh, Platform Strength, really understanding we only have so much capacity for life and working out. And if we're healing a masculine energy right now, or if you're in a similar situation, it's kind of hard to dabble into what we might have used to do, whether used to compete or used to power lift or used to Olympic lift. It's kind of one, really humbling and recognizing how far we are and like, whoa, I used to warm up with this weight. <laughs> but two, it's like, we're so used to going all in that we push ourselves over and we burn out. And I think it's about really retrusting ourselves. And this program has allowed me to do that. And we're about to start right now is test week. We one rep max all of our lifts. I just finished one rep maxing my squat, which again was humbling. But it is so important for me to show up for because it is truly, I don't even care what that number is. It's my best today. And now I get to do a six-week cycle starting Monday that is all about improving that and focusing in on that. So it's a four-day-a-week program of heavy strength. Two days are truly heavy. Two days are dynamic. And then two days that are GPP, general physical preparedness, Wednesday and Saturdays. 
And it's just a perfect hybrid where if I can hit four of those days, four of the six, I am crushing it. <laughs> if I can hit three, I'm doing pretty good. And I feel really good about making sure on heavy work weeks or emotional weeks or weeks I am in my cycle or just in general, the moon is waning. <laughs> I'm slowing it down and I do three. Uh, but I also love the ability to just trust myself again. So that's been a big part of this, this healing. So if you're interested, once you listen to George and our conversation about biohacking, we go through each body part and talk about how, you know, how do we make the most out of our biceps and triceps and quads and hamstrings? How do we get the most bang for our buck? That's really what Coach George is so fantastic with. You can follow him on Instagram, GM Bristow. And of course, come visit us at Platform Strength. We have open gym, 24-7 access for our members and classes. And we're partnering that with meditation. So this week, we also have a weekly breath work on Tuesday and a sound bath. And that's just going to continue to expand based on this personality test I created called the Bird Quiz. And it's a personality test that puts all of these archetypes, these four archetypes, beluga and Palo rattlesnake deer, in a place where it's like, wow, I understand that my meditation is important, is as important as my movement. So for a rattlesnake, a perfect meditation for you, if you are primarily rattlesnake, is breath work. And the way you should move is more of the burn, cardio, even some fighting, kickboxing, really focusing in on your breath. So there's lots of great information in that publication that I made for you if you take the bird quiz. All of this can be found on www.platformdaily.com. If you want to join our membership and join our programming, our cycle that's included in our monthly membership, just go to platformdaily.com slash join. And lots and lots of other resources are available to our members, including online meditations and tea times and calls that we have, including astrology in your career. We are about to hit a full moon in Aries, actually. So there's like big things happening. I don't know if you know if you're an Aries or not. I am an Aries rising. So it's all about action and uh, how are we taking action and what is our path moving forward and back to the square one, which is I don't know what I want. <laughs> and that's cool. Maybe we're about to figure it out. Okay, let's get to the interview. Thank you for being here and enjoy Coach George and I talking about all things Meathead. And then check out my other podcast with La Cahaya Educational Farm talking about all things Maui and magic and farming and tea. <laughs> I'm Emily Schramm, the ultimate Meathead hippie. Welcome to the show. George, welcome to Meathead Hippie. Hello. We've done two before. One. Just one on the rooftop. Mm -hmm. And we talked about strength. And your computer overheated. It did. It got <laughs> so hot up there. Well, welcome back. I'm so excited to talk about getting jacked. Thank you. And I just finished the noon class with you, and I feel super jacked. So this is kind of perfect. It was a good time. <laughs> it was a good time. <laughs> okay, so I want to jump into... Uh, well, really, our program, because I want to understand it more in a way that helps really, like, uh, basically, I've been out of the loop of strength mm -hmm. training, George. I was in Maui for eight months. I, by the way, everyone, if you want to join a retreat, we have some spots left for Maui in December. Ooh. I know. It's like a tea farm retreat. Whoa. I know. We're, it's going to be the dream with, like, sound baths and animal flows and dance. It's going to be perfect. But... I basically didn't strength train consistently for a long time and then came back. We had maybe a week or two and then we started a new cycle. So we do this like six week cycles at platform and we are on week three and I'm already so impressed by this program. It's so effective and I need to understand this. Yeah. One thing I've been trying to focus on with the programming and weight as well is like bang for buck type stuff. Yeah. Like let's with those, like with those squats. Yeah. Let's talk. That's what I think. Cause people don't want to spend a lot of time in the gym right now. Right. It's like 
hard to do anything. So maybe that is the focus, the bang for the buck. Yeah. I like that. It's more like, yeah, like creating exercises where all you need to do is increase focus. Um, if you can really dial in for that set, mm -hmm. you're going to get a ton out of it. You're not going to have to do a million pounds or a thousand reps to get the most out of it. If you can just focus for those 10 reps with moderate weight um, and really dial in what you're doing, what you're thinking about, uh, you're going to get a ton out of it. And that's, I've been shifting more towards that kind of stuff rather than just throwing a ton of volume mm. in the program, which is nice. Um, but I think that's more of a once every few phases type of thing. Mm. You, it's not sustain sustainable. Right. And I talked about this a little <coughs> bit about how our capacity in general, you know, we've been in kind of this craziness for almost two years, right? And so we think about stress and load and capacity to handle things. And we have only so much, no matter if it's workout or work or life or family, right. right? There's only so much room. So I do feel collectively there's a little less energy, you know? So I think that it sounds perfect to have it be that. And I think that's what I'm responding really well to because usually I have, you know, just such a nonstop pattern of I jump into a new program and then all of a sudden my body just freaks out and I got I have this adrenal thing that happens that's just like I can't do all of it I can't work and train in the way that I want to in the way that my body loves and so the sweet spot of platform programming and really why the gym was even created was because of that right there's like heavy hardcore CrossFit which has its place in some ways and right. then there's bodybuilding style and then there's cardio classes so like how do we not lose that athleticism and that badassery? But I, this cycle, like I am, my body's responding very quickly to it. And I'm just so excited to talk to people about some of those hacks that they can throw into their program. Right. Um, <clears throat> one thing, like I already kind of mentioned the squats. That's a good, those box squats we did are a good example of like just dialing it back weight wise and increasing the focus and, um, really restricting the guidelines of the movement to achieve a specific goal. Um, and that, that exercise specifically is a good example of like how we're kind of stripping things down weight wise and volume wise, um, and increasing the effectiveness just via the focus and, um, the movement itself. Like, so the, to give more, uh, just to elaborate on these squats, what it was was sets of 10 to 15 to a high box. So it wasn't even going out of parallel. Mm -hmm. um, and the idea was to keep consistent movement throughout the, uh, the entire set. So no resting at the top, not even for a split second. It, it was almost like a race to get going down once you got to the top. Mm -hmm. um, so it's consistent movement throughout each rep in the whole set and really eating up the volume on the way down. So slowing it down and letting your quads really hold that weight the entire time down and not just bouncing off the box at the bottom, but really controlling it, firing up and then right back down. And then on top of that, really controlling what you're doing with your hips on the way down instead yeah. of pushing them back because that's going to take the weight out of your quads. Yeah, it, this is what I'm so used to with box squats. It's right. like hips back, hips back, kind of the Lee Simmons wide stance box squat, right. and then drive up. I think I'm kind of sick of the whole weight in your heels, push the hips back, target the glutes and posterior chain during the squat um, narrative. I'm over it. <laughs> I've seen it produce minimal results. Yeah. Well, you know, that's what you're fixing in my pattern, right? Right. Because I have such a, I don't even know what's going on, but for so long, I, I didn't even know how to push into my toes Yeah. and use the front, front part of my foot. So I like had 
it wasn't even like underdeveloped quads, but because they were there in some way, but like very underutilized. Yeah, right. It creates a janky movement pattern. That's not a squat is such a natural movement for humans. Um, something you do from like as soon as you can walk, you're squatting. Um, but pushing the hips back and like leaning over when you squat isn't the most natural way. To, it's a it's a knee flexor movement, um, and it's primarily a quad movement. And I hate to say it, but it should, it should stay that way. If you want to develop the posterior chain, you can do posterior chain movements. Um, but trying to target the posterior chain during a squat sounds nice in theory, but at the end of the day, it's a it's an anterior chain. It's a quad, predominantly quad movement. Um, and I think targeting the quads during the squat can transform the squat. It can change your relationship with it because once you, if you're squatting and you're not feeling your quads chances are you should probably look into changing yeah. the, the way you squat. And people are so afraid of being quad dominant, but that's such a rare thing these days, like in general, not just these days, but such a rare thing. But I think it's just over-labeled. What about, so if someone has very tight hip flexors and they're in that space where that's maybe not quad dominance, but it's just incredibly tight from sitting or biking or in that kind of right and position. i think that one can can cause a mis um diagnosis of quad dominance and that's fine to have tight hip flexors it's not great for you but um at the end of the day it, it doesn't change the way you should squat um it changes the way you should recover yeah um and i think a lot of people just have a weaker posterior chain so they say oh i'm quad dominant or they've seen all over the internet or from been hurt they've heard from their coaches that they are are too on their toes or too bending their knees too much when they squat so they think they're quad dominant because they can't get their hips back which um you probably shouldn't be doing one one reason you want to be able to push your hips back is to get very deep in a squat mm. but even that's not necessary um as you could tell from the squats we did today, your quads were on fire, and <laughs> on we weren't fire. we weren't even going to parallel. No, so yeah. I liked the pace, and I again like the mental connection. I think that that's really right. So powerful. When Sometimes like it's harder to even give that much focus during a set with it where the weight's not even that much. Then I've actually had quite a few clients say like, "Can we go up and wait?" Like, ask to go up and wait. Because they know that it'd be easier just to go all out rather than <laughs> to focus and control. Yeah. Um, like, no, we're gonna stay here, and they kind of like give me the. <sighs> totally. Because it's, it's kind of difficult to keep your mind on like that. But well, especially this like you know everyone's kind of coming back. They're trying to get into things. Their numbers are not maybe not what they're used to be. You know, it's just like humbling. But right. we just all have to re restart and yeah. just start from scratch. I think honestly, the whole reason I'm. And I, I'm so glad that I'm moving this way with my training because it's produced incredible results with clients um, and myself. But uh, the whole more bang for your buck type stuff. Yeah. The reason I've moved this way is just like I'm getting older. <laughs> <laughs> and I can't do these two-hour grueling workouts anymore and still recover from them. Mm. So I've had to find some like a way to just get by with less. Um, and, and it's been... And, Whenever I work out, it's R&D anyway, so that's my um, time to figure out what any any coach or, or trainer should be when they're working out, should be keeping mental note of everything they do and how it feels and how it affects them because that's what you're going to learn from the most. Yeah, that's um, data right there. Yeah. Oh, there's a spider. Where? It's on the little light. Hi, spider. He's on this guy. Okay, oh. so let's <laughs> talk about getting... Um, Maybe that's where we lean into. So if somebody is, maybe the con the concept of the program as a whole, not specific, right. how does someone do less but do more? So it's, it's tough to, 
water it down? I know. That was a big question. <laughs> right. It is tough to water it down because ultimately I've been writing programs for a long time. Mm -hmm. So it's easy to take something that was already a system I've spent years developing and kind of mold it. Um, but ultimately, um, you you should be tailoring things to what your goals are. So there's like those squats we did we did today that would that I wouldn't tell anybody to do those all the time. Mm. Um, it's good to cut down the depth and focus on the tempo, but it's also good to take down the weight and then go really deep. It's also good to go really heavy and focus on being explosive. So I guess I could I what I'm trying to say is like figure out what you want to do first. Mm -hmm. And then design the program based on that. But um, just know, just know that very varying the way you do things to meet a certain goal is super important. Because if you didn't hit parallel on a squat ever, it you wouldn't have no strength in the bottom. Mm -hmm. I'm not big on squatting heavy really deep anymore. Um, and it's been a while since I've been into that, but um, I see all the time people trying to squat super heavy, super deep, and you pretty much lose all control when you do that. Um, but it, I do think it's important to squat deep, just lighter weight, and that can be a heck of a bodybuilding style workout too. Right. Um, but if you're going from like powerlifting, explosivity, power, um, strength, Mm -hmm. um, I personally wouldn't have anyone go super deep. I have everyone, everybody go to their depth. I'm um, just trying to get jacked. Well, and and that's why you'll see in the program in the phases to come, mm -hmm. squatting to all depths, not just squats, but squats is a good example. Mm -hmm. But moving through all the depths with d varying weights and varying tempos is important. Um, Again, it's really hard to tell people how to write a program, but <laughs> yeah, and it's more in general, like not even writing a program, but like even biohacking the quads or the biceps, like right, like how do I write? Like I noticed, I came back and I had no quads, so this is what's the first program you guys put out when I got back was all quad. It's right. like very chest quad heavy, or dominant, or not. That's a bad word to say, but right, focused. Mm -hmm. And I'm obsessed with it because I know I've lost so much muscle in my legs. And that's been my favorite part of my body since I was forever. Yep. So I'm like, okay, good. I'm ready to get this this back. But um, maybe if we could jump, is it possible to share, like, I, you know, I have no idea what people who are listening, what their goals are. So, you know, this is very personal. <laughs> well, well, I'll, I'll kind of reiterate, reiterate what I said. The most powerful thing you can do when writing a program for yourself or for anybody else and um, anyone I've mentored on writing programs, like I can think of Wade specifically, if he were in here, he would validate this, um, is you need to have a why for every exercise, every uh, rep scheme you have on that program. Um, I kind of mentored him for a while and my biggest question was like, he, he would send something to me, ask me, how is this? And I would like see something that I kind of was curious about. Um, and I would ask him, why did you do that? And as long as you have a good reason, it's the right thing to have in there. But if you just throw something in there, just to fill you, time, to fill time yeah, and you don't really know why you have it in there, but you know, you might know it's a good thing to have anyway. Mm -hmm. It's, it probably doesn't belong. You have to have a good reason for everything you put in because it's not hard to know what's good. Um, and it's not hard to know the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's really easy to just kind of check out and throw stuff in there because well, this kind of makes me want to talk about the typical models that happen, and this is not a uh, diss at all. It's just not what, you know, I, I think is effective for me, but there has to be a level of consistency in what you do right. for a series of weeks, correct? Yeah. And that's what I think people have a hard time 
wrapping their head around, right? Because it, it, they want, if they're in a gym or in a class, as long as it burns or as long as their heart rate's up or as long as their calories are certain, they can walk away and kind of check a, check right. the box, right? So can we can you explain kind of in depth for a beginner of the importance of that type of uh, right cycle? Yeah, so if, especially for anyone who's ever played a sport, I'm sure you know what it's like to go to practice and you do a drill one time and you might have loved that drill and be like, wow, I feel much better after that. And then you don't see that drill again and you're like, can we do that again? Like that kind of, because you know you're going to get better from it. Yeah. Because um, if you did it again, you'd get better again. And then you did it again, you'd get even better and you start to hone in on that drill and then whatever attribute that drill is um, you know, perfecting for you is going to, you're going to master that attribute throughout the consistent uh, practice of that drill. People don't really have that same sort of approach to weightlifting or even just uh, exercise in general. There's this, um, I think it's all the group classes that go on these days. Like people are always trying to keep it fresh because our, our attention spans are shorter than ever. Right. Um, Which is a thousand percent due to Instagram. Oh yeah. <laughs> and TikTok. I, TikTok, I will never get a TikTok. Oh. Me either. I, I just can't do it. I just, I, I, I know, yeah. I know <laughs> I'm with you on that. It's just not good for our brains, but I, I understand so. like the series of times and entertainment, there's a place for it. But like for me personally, I think it just makes me so upset because I'm like, I am just a product of the machine getting yep. fed algorithmed things that, and it just really makes me spiral into like, uh, just just the normalcy of us staring at our phone as often as we do. Yeah, you know? I think it just, I think it's great how much information we have available to us these days, but I think it just takes us out of our world and puts us our brains on the internet and we spend less time actually experiencing our life. Oh, so well said, George. And just, you know, I've, I'm full hippie, but <laughs> like being present and being in nature and being in, the environment, right? That is the experience that makes us human, and so when we feel so detached from that, it's not hard to find out why. Right. You know, it, it might it might sound really simple, but I think everyone deserves to have a hobby. I mean, it's great oh. to be passionate about what you do for work. Yeah, but I think everyone deserves to have something to go home to from work and look forward to. Can we talk about your hobby? Oh uh, yeah. So you had like dabbled in it maybe in our last podcast, mm -hmm. but then you just said, nope, this is it. We did a woodworking yep. class. Yep. We, you showed me how to make a uh, cutting board, mm -hmm. which you ended up doing for me, <laughs> <laughs> which is, is my favorite. I, I eat I, it every day. I'm so terrible at that. No, it's I okay. It. Like, I no, was, here, just like this. <laughs> I was cool with it. I got a dope <laughs> cutting board out of it. But uh, talk about woodworking and how this has, because I mean, it's so cool. You're like in classes. Yeah. So I've been doing it pretty hardcore for the last two years, I'd say. But a year or so before that, I was even starting to dabble, like you said. Um, then I realized, like, I, I think I would like to entertain the possibility of maybe doing this one day, like, full time. Mm. Um, but there is something to be said about it being your... Hobby. Your hobby. And step, yeah, what do you think of that when your hobby crosses over to your career? It's tough. It is. It's, it passion makes it really hard. Pa passion to paycheck. I always have said the paradox of the passion to paycheck. Right. Because there is a line that can easily be crossed. But, I mean, listen, who am I to say anything? Right. Do I have any hobbies that aren't also my job? Nope. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> well, wait, maybe I do. I have a couple. I'll think of them as you explain more about what you do with woodworking. <laughs> So my, the, yeah, the paradox there is really tough. Um, but what I think, I think I've come up with a model that works for me. Um, it might be a little more difficult to make it successful, but I'm kind of going with the artist model where I'll make a piece and put it up for sale. Mm. And if it sells, it sells. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But I've discovered as soon as I take a commission from somebody that they say, I want this, it's like this. And if you could do this, that'd be great. I it 
it loses the joy. Instantly becomes work. Wow. That's so. so important for you to know, though, because some people get into it and then they figure it out after. Yeah. And then it's like, well, here I am, you mm -hmm. know. Ugh. So then would would somebody f have to find a new hobby? If, would you have to find a new hobby if woodworking became your full-time job? Um, Probably, yeah. yeah. But what I think I'm – there's a infinite subcategories of woodworking, but one I found that – I enjoy doing, even if it's on a piece that I'm going to sell, is wood wood turning. What is um, that? So you use a lathe and it spins the wood, and you mm. use gouges and chisels to cut it. While and you make round objects, bowls. Oh, I love um, wood bowls. Like a big wood salad bowl is mm -hmm. my dream. I love those. Yeah. Cool. Well, I won't ask you to make one, but if you do make well, one, let me know. I want to get into <laughs> it, but there's some limitations with doing. You need a big lathe to make a big bowl, and salad bowls can get pretty big. Yeah. Um, I want a big one. I so eat big salads. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love going to so make. I make the. Have you had a salad for me, George? Uh oh. I make the best salads. I get so. Cr I do the weirdest shit, and then every. I just like. I want to make sure everyone who has a salad, especially my salad, never thinks about salad the same way. So well, I will make you a salad. I'm open to that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is only when I cook it for other people. For right. me, I'm like sprinkle in yeah. some arugula, <laughs> some some uh, garden fresh things that I <laughs> don't even know what they are from the Pearl Street Farmer's Market and call it good. But um, I would love to talk about the wood that you work with because each this is like a connection to nature in a di totally different way of how each tree, each type of wood is so unique. Oh, it's a big thing, especially with wood turning, because a wow. lot of it comes straight off the tree. Like, it's called green wood when it's still wet. Um, you you can take a log, you can chop down a tree, take a log from it, and turn it on the lathe and have something that day, which wow. most wood has to dry out completely in season. Um, if you're woodworking with it. Yeah. Okay. And a lot of wood turning, they use like burls and stuff like the burl is a part of the tree. Um, it's basically like tree cancer and it like grows out of control and crazy. It's like, have you ever seen like those big bulb looking things on yes. the side of a tree? They're, they're like um, what whales have, like barnacles. But yeah. Massive. Yes. Um, and that's a burl and they have this crazy interlocking grain patterns and they're like beautiful, like mm. super highly figured grains um and a lot of that is used in wood turning um but yeah you w woodworking in general you <laughs> the spider came up to my face <laughs> hello little guy okay keep going you, so you, yeah you just i do love that part about woodworking is it is a way to connect with nature and like the trees themselves i look at trees so differently now right you when i see to. them i i was like you gain a respect Totally. What, so what's your favorite smells? That, what tree has the best smell? Oh. That should be a question of the day. We always do a question of the day on PlatformDaily.com. We have the coaches ask it. Do you like that question? George doesn't like my questions. <laughs> they're, they're too deep for me. I like, I like them a little, light, a little more lighthearted. Yesterday was good. It was, what's your favorite cleaning supply? Oh, I'm, I'm a, I don't like cleaning. But that yeah. is that's more in the ballpark. <laughs> okay, good. Okay, favorite smell of when you're working with wood. Um, Sapili is probably close to my favorite. It's a form of mahogany. Mm. It smells really just like rich. Yeah. Um, but I started working with this wood called camphor wood. I never heard of it. Um, is that a tree? Camphor tree? Yeah, C A M P H O R. It's, Google it. It smells really spicy. And a, almost a little bit like eucalyptus-y. Oh, it's gorgeous. It's an evergreen. Yeah. Is it really? Yeah. Interesting. That's I didn't beautiful. Know that. Oh, and it's got berries, and it looks like the laurel, like it has those laurel holiday oh, right. kind of holly-looking mm -hmm. leaves. How beautiful. Okay, so do you, where do you get your wood? A lot of it online for the wood turning stuff, because you like a lot of it's like really specialty, like. There's a lot of dealers that deal in like specialty woods. Okay. And so. Like Craigslist? No. There's like s 
businesses. Okay. But they're usually like small time businesses and they have a hookup to so lo- some local trees and they can get some like really cool stuff. Is there like a thing about, you know, we need more trees, right? So right. what is the conversation about making sure that, I, like I thought about this, I was in a log cabin in um, Fair Play the other weekend. Mm-hmm. I hosted a sound bath up there and it was just like, all these massive you know true log cabin i was just like this is amazing this is a lot of trees so what is the conversation about like cutting down trees so a lot of the places i get wood from uh they're getting their trees from naturally fallen stuff cool okay Um, because it's kind of seen as at least on the specialty wood market a lot of the trees are pretty uncommon anyway it's kind of seen as like very unethical to cut down a tree in general, right. unless it needs to be cut down. Um, this, you guys, this spider is literally on my microphone mouth. <laughs> this is crazy. I wonder how many me. people listening will actually see that as a fun fact and uh, not a terrifying nightmare. But I love spiders. I don't know why they love me. Because you love them. I know. Hello, Bubba. Okay, so ethically chopped down or they were already chopped down so that's cool that may, i was fallen. thinking about that okay and is that a conversation i bet there's a big conversation about that somewhere that i could read it up on yeah oh. unfortunately there's a huge lumber shortage more more for like the construction lumber side of things which i don't really mess with right. um and i think a lot of that conversation is more like screw it we need lumber right unfortunately right well i this is kind of depressing and then we need to talk about something happy but I randomly got a National Geographic push notification and I have last year I had this like I called him my pet woodpecker I love woodpeckers and he would visit me every single day and today on 10 you know October 1st he came back it was crazy I like haven't seen he's a flicker woodpecker Anyway, I got a notification very shortly after I saw him fly up, and it said that there was a type of woodpecker that's completely extinct, and it was just so sad. It was like the you know the woodpecker that you think of with the red head mm-hmm. and the white body, and they're, they're just the coolest things. And it just made me so sad. There's just so much. They're extinct. Yeah, they officially the one they made the cartoon about. Yep, they are officially calling them. They went on a search for them for years and years and years they said that they were endangered but they hadn't seen them since 1944 and then there was a couple sightings in early 2000s so they were like maybe they're making a miraculous comeback and then they just decided they we haven't seen them so they they're gone so it's just like the most depressing entry but i just with when you think of forest deforestation and Mm -hmm. trees and just what we're doing it's just like such a huge conversation but i love that there's ways to do it in a way that's not like that yeah hmm. man i know tink and i decided when we die we want to be planted as trees oh i love that i think i want to do that too and we're going to choose which tree we want to be planted like what kind of tree do my favorite my favorite wood and my favorite tree is a white oak oh that's beautiful what's tink she wants to be a birch a birch is yeah. so good oh the birch is very significant with new beginnings oh really yeah so like one time i had a fire a whole ceremony and i made sure i had birch wood and just like did it all around that um okay so kind of back to a quick little i'm gonna pivot back to the meathead if you're cool with that hey we have to bounce between them um perfect so we're gonna do a speed run of body part hacks so basically george i want to get i'm gonna name out a body part and i want to get that body part as jacked and awesome as possible in in the most efficient way are you ready for this yep i will i want to say a caveat that okay um this will just be one of many ways you can do this for each muscle group okay okay that's fair but this is probably it'll probably be my favorite way okay and can i do a caveat of this has nothing to do with nutrition which is a massive component of this and recovery in general (laughs) one more caveat (laughs) If you're at a caloric deficit, you're going to feel all this way more, but you're not going to be able to recover from it as well. Um, I'm currently on a bulk, and I'm actually finding it really hard to like get 
like that lactic acid, like really big pump feeling. Oh, I can get a pump, have, but it, it's like, you know, when you're doing like chest and you feel like it's ripping, like that good feeling. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> rip. <laughs> I, I'm currently unable to like really feel that a lot. Um, okay. Because I have so much fuel for the muscle. When Just I'm, glycogen's filled. Yeah. Well, we talk about this a lot of like, if you want to, first step one, if you are looking, you know, we all want, to feel jacked but that ultimately is a visual thing right? right and so strength not included that can just be dependent on how much glucose you're consuming right. so carbohydrate level if it's extremely low and you want to get jacked you're going to have right. a harder time seeing the problem the problem is if you're at a caloric deficit and you are getting the most insane like burn going it's it, probably not the best thing if you're going to be really trying to get hypertrophy and get jacked you want to be at least calorically neutral love that yeah that makes sense get gains eat food okay ready body part number one okay biceps biceps well that's easy but for i'll say this for both both biceps and okay. triceps it's i love starting with the pre-fatigue set okay so for the biceps and triceps specifically sometimes the delts um, each, each person's going to respond to different exercises differently. So when you're doing bicep exercises, be paying attention to which ones work for you the best, which ones you feel the most pump from and which ones you feel like give you the most gains. And those are your bicep exercises do vary them, but still it's such a variable thing. Person to person, the biggest, um, uh, hack I can give you though is start with a pre-fatigue set so if I'm going to start with standing barbell curl bicep curls which mm -hmm. is my ultimate but most people they don't work as well like something like a preacher curl um, I would say I would probably do sets of 10 to 15 12 to 17 somewhere in there um, to get the most pump sometimes I'll do 8 to 12 like higher weight um, but no matter what, say I'm going to do 70 pounds for ten, three or four sets of 10 to 15 reps, I'm going to, before I ever do that, I'm going to take just the bar, pick it up, and I'm going to do 20 to 25 slow and controlled reps. And all that do, all that do, <laughs> all that does is push blood into that area to get it ready. Um for the coming sets of where you're really grinding. Um, and by the time you're done with that first pre-fatigue set, you're already feeling it. And then you, the, for your working sets, you get nothing but pump gains, tearing, <laughs> ripping. Jeez. I love it. And but my favorite bicep that you have shown me, the incline bench bicep curl, mm -hmm. because I get that full extension. Nothing lights them up like that. And see, for me, that one, is probably my least favorite huh. because I'm very shoulder dominant yeah. usually. And with my shoulders, my anterior delts like stretched back like that, they are just loaded and ready to do it all for me. And that my biceps don't really get a chance to do anything. Oh, that's cool. And we're doing in the gym right now, Mondays, we do, what do we call this? We used to fill the, we used fill to the call sleeves. Fill the sleeves. Yeah. Yeah. If I'm doing it just a one-off, like uh, one day a week or something, yeah. I'll call it a gun show. Gun show. And yep. then it's, um, how often would I need to do bicep curls to see results a week? Probably two to three minimum. Okay. If you're, if you're really focusing, if that's your focus mm -hmm. is to get your biceps bigger, I would say three to five days a week to maintain the gains you have in your biceps almost zero if you're still doing upper body workouts with rowing and whatnot yep the maintenance volume for those are super low because you're using them in so much stuff you do already yep um but if you want to get them better three to five days a week is like the ultimate but if you don't have that many days to do biceps two to three can really help okay and random question that just popped in my head you know we we're talking about hypertrophy versus strength do would this type of pump pump swole bicep curl work translate to better pull-ups yes and no well not not really yes and no more just like 
if you're doing all the pro pull up work you need to be doing to get better at pull ups, mm-hmm. yes, it will help. Um, but it's if you're not, not isolated, yeah, then you won't even notice a difference. I'm sure. Yeah. Because the best way to get better at pull ups is doing pull ups. The hardest pull up to do is your first one ever. <laughs> yeah. So it's, true. It's so hard to get there, and it's uh, like yeah, it's one thing that I feel like the strength and conditioning world has not figured out including me how to it just kind of i feel like if you want to if you aren't able to do pull-ups and you want to be able to do pull-ups you have to obsess over them yeah for months and that's so hard to do when you're like we, you know you get on the pull-up bar you're like Ugh, oh yeah that's, yeah <laughs> but with the right bands with the right modifications and with consistency yeah it's possible you and have then to kind of be bands. obsessed yeah you're right if you can do two or three pull-ups I can get you to do 10 in a matter of a month or two. So it's, true. It's the just, one. But again, it's still kind of you just do as many sets as you can as many times a week as you can. <laughs> totally. Okay. I like that. That was a nice little lat uh, body part. Okay. Mm-hmm. Let's pivot to body, uh, lower body um, hamstrings. Hamstrings. Okay. Good hack for the hamstrings. Uh, I don't even know if these are hacks. These are just like. <laughs> <laughs> I like the hacks. We can yeah. Keep it. <laughs> um, a good one for the hamstrings to get them bigger mm-hmm. and stronger RDLs where you are I call it like a reverse shrug like where instead of pulling your shoulders up towards your ears you're like re- retracting your scaps a lot what that does is when you do an RDL and you retract your scaps a ton it pulls the bar farther away from the floor and allows you to get deeper um Deep, deep RDLs with huge amounts of um, like hamstring activation. So like pressing your foot down like a gas pedal mm. are nothing is better for the hamstrings. I'm, I'm yeah. convinced if you have a bad back, then um, one, don't load the weight up, even though deep and really heavy RDLs are amazing. F- sets of five to eight is all you need. You don't need high reps, but if RDLs are out of the question for you, because that is a real thing. Um, I love hamstring curls where, like, we did them today on the cable machine. You're yep. seated, you're sitting down, and you have, we use the cable machine, so we have an ankle strap. I like it where you hold the weight um, with the hamstring contracted. So you bend the knee, pull the foot in, and then you control it out and snap it back in. And that point of pause between reps is actually held in where the hamstring is contracted. So the hamstring never gets to shut off. I like that. Yeah. I felt those today. Yeah. So yeah. when you're doing ha- the problem with hamstrings is such a, um, like an elastic muscle because they're, that's what we run with essentially, mm. um, calves and glutes as well. But they're such an elastic muscle by nature that if they get any amount of rest, they're going to be, they're, they're going to get is too much rest. Totally. Yeah. So if you, quote unquote, rest with the foot in when it's still contracted. You don't ever let it relax. That's the best way to train the hamstring in a knee bending fashion. Okay. And you said it meant just a quick hack, like for knees, ACL, hamstring development is going to be so key. Yeah. So quick hack. I'll (laughs) go deep on it. Um, (laughs) Hamstring strength is the number one prevention uh, of ACL tears because the ACL attaches just below the knee on the backside of the tibia and fibula. Um, and when your hamstrings are strong and say the ACL isn't do, doesn't you twist and your ACL actually holds the tibia to the femur and doesn't allow it to, um, separate too much. Problem is if you go too hard and twist too hard, the ACL can no longer hold the tibia Mm. to the femur. Your hamstrings are effectively you know, your backup for your ACL, if they're strong, um, if, if they're strong, then they'll be able to hold the tibia too. So they're helping that ACL. But if you have loose, weak hamstrings, they're not going to, you're not going to have the strength to hold the tibia back from twisting too much. Uh, okay. Take care of your knees, people. Oh my God. Build your (laughs) hamstrings, moving back up our body, tricep. Triceps. Um, triceps are very similar as far as like training volume and like
like the pre-fatigue sets, they respond so similar to the biceps. And they're also very, they're variable from person to person as far as what exercises work. But I can say one thing that not nearly enough people do is um, training the long head of their tricep. Mm. Um, so you're, the long head of your tricep actually acts more like a lat. It oh. does uh, shoulder extension. It basically brings your hand down towards your hip. Okay. Um, yeah, I never thought about that. That makes sense. It so, is like a lat. Yeah. So training your tricep, your long head of your tricep, what I love is anything overhead. Mm -hmm. So I'll face away from the cable machine, grab the ropes, and I'll bend over 90 degrees, and then do an overhead tricep extension there. Okay. And um, just training that movement, if you don't do much overhead tricep work, will exponentially increase your, one number one, your tricep strength, but two, um, your tricep size, because if you're not training, obviously, it's probably not going to be that big. <laughs> <laughs> right. And that seems as if that would also help with the tendons that maybe people have with tennis elbow or some yep. sort of issue with that joint. Right. Okay. Uh, on top of that whole, the whole tendon argument is we're talking a lot about bodybuilding stuff specifically because that's kind of the phase we're in mm -hmm. right now is more of a hypertrophy type phase. Um, all this stuff, like the slow and controlled, all the, the getting a pump, doesn't do a ton to train the tendons in the body. Mm. This is why bodybuilders get a ton of soft tissue injuries, like torn biceps and stuff like that, because all they do is slow and controlled movements. Mm. That makes the muscle very strong. But um, you train your tendons get stronger from explosive work. Wow, that makes so much sense. So can you do ba the banded, like taking a band and just like high mm -hmm. high rep yep. 40 to 50 explosive anything where you're really going fast and plyometric explosive okay. with a muscle is going to train the tendon because it takes about three to four times the load to elicit strength gains in the tendon that it does the muscle wow yeah our so, tendons are strong yeah and they and if they don't get a high load if they if we're not training them strong then they're not even gonna respond so in a bodybuilding circuit program do force yourself to do tendon training not necessarily it's it, the problem is the problem is when you do a bodybuilding program followed by another bodybuilding program followed by another another yeah that's when you get into trouble because bodybuilders don't train explosively they okay so have one thing on their mind stuck on bodybuilding yes then do explode okay but yep. we're we're good with our platform program yeah i've um i have a phobia of getting people hurt so <laughs> well i appreciate that <laughs> so we definitely incorporate that stuff yeah um and our athlete stuff has a ton of explosive work I'm obsessed um so with the athlete. anything that goes anyone that does the athlete track is going to be fine because we do all that explosive work that you would need yep cool okay i'm going to move to a part that i would like to focus on calves 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 are i'd say the hardest muscle group to elicit a change in um, if it's something you want. Because if it's something you want, then chances are genetically you're not really <laughs> <laughs> set up for it. But I think, so one thing that I think people dismiss a lot is um, when it comes to like actually training muscularly is running, like sprints. Mm. Um, sprint workouts are a hell of a, hell of a workout for your calves right i'd say if you're actually already doing calf work my hack would be to sprint do I like that. two two sprint workouts a week um it, with good form obviously where you're actually going to utilize the calf. yeah and you're running on your toes cool um that's my hack because a lot of people probably aren't going to want to do sprints and we're going into winter um, I'll give a second hack, um, and, and that'll be doing a hundred to 150 to start with calf raises a day. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That'll work. Yep. Okay. Especially for people who sit all day, you don't use them. Yeah. No just, one... just stand up and do them. Right. No one. Yeah. I do them in the shower. Oh, great. I'll be like doing my shampoo or whatever, just taking care of myself calf in the shower. Calf raises in the shower. Yep. And. You know that song? No. Singing in the shower. Oh, I thought it was actually calf raises. No, no, I mixed it up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Okay, I'm going to do that. If anyone wants to join, please, let's take some before yeah. and afters of the cast. Uh, delts. Delts. We did talk about this, I think, a little bit in our first podcast about volume, just making sure you have you have to do a lot of reps. Yeah, just like the biceps and triceps, they can that your delts can handle up to five days a week wow. of hard training. That's cool. And if this, it's not something you obviously you would do all the time, but if it's your focus, you know, up, up the volume. Cool. And you obviously don't want to do it for forever. Any of this stuff where you're really focusing hard and going hard on it, everything needs to go through periods of hard training, and then backing off for maintenance and allowing for resensitizing to the training. Yeah. But if we're going, if you're going to go hard, you can take up to five days a week of training. Um, your delts can. Uh, my hack for the delts is, I've already used this one, but it's a little bit different, is a pre-fatigue. Um, not just one pre-fatigue set, but say you want to do um, like dumbbell side raises or dumbbell overhead press. What I really like is using the mini bands around my wrists, and I um, do front raises with the mini bands. So I have it um, between each wrist. Let me explain the mini bands. So they're basically like very, very thin, flimsy glute bands that like yeah. hip circles. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and you put them between your wrists. They're like eight inches long. So you have to, to get your hands even shoulder width. You have to press out against the band. So get your hands shoulder width and you do front raises with the mini bands. You're pressing out against it. And then anyone who's done rehab knows shoulder rehab knows like a shoulder external rotation mm -hmm. you bend your elbows at a 90 degree and then you hold your upper arms in at your side and you externally rotate as far as you can 10 reps so that's 20 reps right there and then a bonus is you can hold your hands out in front of you straight and you can do like ballistic bounces pulses. yeah pulses against the band outwards so that can be up to 30 reps there of a pre-fatigue and then drop the band immediately go into your dumbbell side raises or your dumbbell overhead press or any overhead press or delt work. Yeah. Um, but you do that every set. Oh, I love that. Instead of just once. Yeah. Um, and basically the problem with some people with like side raises or front raises is um, their traps just kind of do everything mm -hmm. and their shoulder, they never feel their shoulders. Um, the nice thing about the bands before every set is it makes your your delt then becomes your limiting factor mm. and it's the one that's the only thing you can feel yep. at that point then yeah yeah that makes sense i liked when we did that last cycle okay uh i think this is maybe the last one well we well okay abs abs that's hard because that is such a body composition thing yeah yeah what I mean, if I want it a really turtle is. shell? I want to get a turtle shell. What's that? That's when your abs look like a turtle shell. Oh. So well, you have to like put on, you have to like. Assuming your body com composition is good mm -hmm. already. Um, abs really respond well to being stretched than contracted. Like the physio ball sit-ups. But another one, a good one is um, the V-ups. Yep. Because they cause you to really, with your arms overhead, really extend and lengthen. And then come back up. Yep. Um, side so, V-ups are just like the bane of my existence. Side right. V-ups are so hard. <laughs> yeah. I think a good hack I would like to throw in there is um, I love the V-up hollow hold combo. Yeah. Um, because you have to contract and squeeze for so long. And then when you go back to the V-ups, it's like they're the hardest V-ups you've ever done. Yeah. And what I love about them is after you've done that long hollow hold, then your limiting factor for most people becomes your lower abs because they've held that contracted state through the hollow hold. When you go back to the V-ups, the only place you can usually feel it is like very, very low where it's really hard to target the abs. Totally, yeah. So what I really like to do is like 10 V-ups, do a hollow hold for 20 seconds, and then go back and do v 10 V-ups again. Um, I was sore from three rounds of that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I needed to do that. How often can I do that? Abs are best done two to three times a week. Okay. You don't usually want to do abs if your abs are already sore. Totally. Because they're kind of easy to strain. Yep. If you're if they're already weakened in a weakened state because they're so fascial, they don't have a lot of pliability. Yeah. Um, when and they're already lactic. 
that's a good way of saying that. I like that. Why do you hate having mat sit-ups? It, it, they impinge the lumbar. Um, they do stretch the abs, but um, because your hips are in a closed state, mm -hmm. you're, you then have to, each vertebrae has to rotate about the disc and it pinches each disc in the lumbar. Mm -hmm. Whereas like with the physio ball, there's traction like when you're stretching over it. Yeah. That's why if you're going to do like sit-ups, especially like the ab mat style where you're like really arching the back, yeah. I would have I would have people do it on the physio ball because the traction of the spine allows the spine to be able to elongate as it extends. Whereas on an ab mat, it's not able to elongate. Um, and so then it causes a pinching action on the disc. Thank you for sharing that. Of course. Okay, we got one more. Oh. Chest. Chest. My favorite hack for chest, I actually stole from Arnold uh, Schwarzenegger, his <laughs> old chest routine. Yeah. He would put 135 on the bar and start with 40 reps. And then he would put like 185 on and do 20. And then he would put, no, I think he would go up like, go up a plate and do 20. Then go up another plate and do 12. And then he would like start incrementally doing like eight and then six. And you do like four, five sets of six. Um, again, it's just another pre-fatigue, but I really love that rep scheme. Um, oh, another good hack comes from Arnold because I read up a whole, whole thing about this, and I've been doing it for the last six months to a year, and uh, periodically, and I love it. Um, but he, when he goes down for his bench press rep. Mm -hmm. He takes a huge gulp of air in and expands his rib cage. And what that do does is cause the chest fibers to stretch even more than they already are. Uh. Um, and then contracts and exhales all his air at once uh, to the top. And then okay. comes back down. I, why, when I am, I've seen people, they bench and they tilt their chin up right before the bar hits the chest. I'm not a fan of that. Yeah. I think it's clearly a compensation. So there's something going on where they're missing a piece of the movement or a strength at the bottom. There's a reason that makes them feel stronger. Mm. I feel like it's a chest thing um, because what that would do is cause the chest from... To concave slightly. To concave, yeah. yeah. Okay. So um, yeah, it's I was just kind so of saving the chest. It. I couldn't quite tell a pattern in it, and I was, I'm was i so glad I got it at. Yeah, it's clearly a compensation, and it, even if it is um, uh, conscious, like they're making an effort to do it, it's a compensation, and they feel stronger doing that. And I've seen, it, seen plenty of it, and there's nothing wrong with it other than the fact that um, it's not a natural movement. Yeah. Uh, I think it might be they're overstretching their chest. I've seen people with really big chests do it too. And it, that would just lean, lead me to believe that they're overstretching their chest with with the way they're benching. Because hmm. um, if you have a big chest, it's pretty easy to overstretch it. By the way, the muscle forms when it's more bulbous. It, that's a whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> but you can, It's it would be much easier to overstretch it. Okay. Um, and that would just like I think relieve some of the stretch at the bottom. If I, I'm just gonna be on the spot and have to think of a a, a thing, okay. And then just because we can, um, I think I know the answer. Well, this is how I feel. I know it, it, maybe everybody's type is different, but fastest way to really streamline and use or lose body fat percentage or kind of spike up any sort of hormone to help build muscle, uh, the hack of sprinting. Oh, okay. So, so, okay. But if a body part was now a concept of losing body fat, mm -hmm. what, what would be the hacks for body fat loss? Okay. In exercise way, not nutrition, not nutrition. Um, what I, would you think coach George? I would say like met metabolic training. So stuff like, um, like the chest, yeah. Where you're, you do like the Arnold thing, like thirty to forty reps. Um, go superset with like some quick 
lat pull downs or something and then right back on put a little more weight on 20 reps but you're not giving yourself any by the not enough rest to the point where like you can only put five more pounds on and then you your second rep you're already like oh my gosh this is burning like that's metabolic training where you're basically not giving the muscle time to recover completely yeah exactly um it increases your body temperature it um starves the muscle for um nutrients like glucose um and so when after your workout when you do have uh glucose rich foods Mm -hmm. to restore your muscle will just suck it up totally and you won't be wasting any uh nutritional carbs george i love learning from you thank you for this of course uh, talk about the podcast you have that you might bring back at some point. Uh, Gains Train podcast. <laughs> with this, an S or a Z? With a Z. Yes. Actually, no, I think if you search it, we had to change it to an S for some reason. Okay, so Gains with an S. Gains with an S. I think on the little... Um, icon. Icon, it still says Z. That was the whole idea in the beginning. But Okay, searchability with an yeah. S. Okay. Yeah, I think that was it. And uh, you're at... Platform Strength, you coach Mondays at noon, Fridays at noon. You have your own training. You do squat assessments and you mm-hmm. do programming. Yep. And you do p- our platform programming with yes, Wade. We do. Ugh, love it. Well, George, thank you for being a part of it. I'm so glad I'm back yep. in Denver. And we, I don't know if we're going to bring the podcast back again. I would love to. But there are uh, 27 episodes up. What a great number. And uh, is that your number? Not my number, but it's a great number. Is it? It is? Yeah, it adds to nine. There's a lot of magic that happens at 27. Oh. Yeah, there's some like... I met Tink uh, when I was 27. Yeah, there's some mythical and magic to 27. I might have been 26. I was 26. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> it's, it's not magic. Um, oh, I was 27 when we opened Platform. Oh, well then it is magic. <laughs> uh, if you're in Denver, come stop in, get a drop in, or take a class. You can find us at... Uh, on Instagram at Platform Strength or PlatformStrength.com. And Coach George, thank you so much for this. Thank you. I hope we do it again. I know. We definitely will. Tell us what you guys want to hear and get jacked, and we will make sure we deliver. Thanks for listening. See you soon.